anything at all. So uh, it's usually a pretty good time, 7.30 to 9 uh, next Sunday. Uh, child care is available, but we need you to sign up for that out front to make sure we've got all of the coverage. And if you have any questions on that, you can see Kim. But again, we'd invite you and encourage you to come to that. Um, as David mentioned, this is our small group Sunday. We do this twice a year. We we have uh, we have several. We have uh, probably I don't know eight or nine groups that are ongoing that are kind of locked, and then uh, but we have ten I think ten or eleven groups that are opening up, welcoming new people, or forming brand new today. And so that's what you're going to hear from. You're going to hear from our group. So all of these groups that you're going to hear from are receiving new people or they're starting fresh. If you're not currently in a small group, I'd encourage you to. Uh, you begin to think about that. Uh, there'll be an opportunity for you to make a commitment and an opportunity for you to get more information on any of the groups uh, that you would like to find more, uh, if you would like more about that. Um, if you don't see a group that really fits, our solution is for you to start one. So if you've been here for six months or longer, then you're eligible to start a group. I'd love to talk with you about that. If for whatever reason you don't see something that works with your schedule or something, uh, we would, I would love to talk with you um, about that. And we'll see if we can find a way to get you plugged in. So you'll hear from our small group leaders in a little bit. Uh, but before that, we want to look back at Matthew and pick up where we left off last week. Uh, today we want to look at Matthew 9, 9 through 17. It's the second bridge. I said there's these three sets of three miracles each in Matthew 8 and 9. And there's two bridges that connect these, these sections of miracles. And, and this morning we want to look at the second bridge. Just a little background so you know where some of this is coming from. Uh, Jesus gets questioned, you might say accused, depending on how you want to read it, uh, from some religious leaders that we're going to look at today. And what's underlying that, the Jews were awaiting the coming of the Messiah. We know to be Jesus, they did not at the time. So the Jews are awaiting the coming of the Messiah, and they were thinking the Messiah is going to deliver us. We're under this oppressive Roman rule, this Roman occupation, and the Messiah is going to be a political military leader who's going to deliver our nation and restore us to prominence internationally. They were looking for the coming of the kingdom of God, which they saw as God's kind of setting everything right, getting rid of everything that was wrong with the world, ending evil and setting everything right, which would also result in Israel being uh, lifted up to a position of prominence. So that's what's going on underneath that. The religious leaders were looking forward to the Messiah and the kingdom of God coming. And they believed the... Uh, the their righteousness had something to do with that. So there's kind of this equation in their mind. The more collectively righteous we are as a nation, we're kind of, we're, we're, we're inviting the Messiah to come. And we're, we're welcoming God to send a deliverer. And when we get to this certain level of righteousness or goodness collectively, then God will come and do this work for us. So starting in verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, remember he just healed this paralytic he saw a man named Matthew, if you look in Mark and Luke, his name is Levi, named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Matthew is most likely that we would consider him a customs agent. He's in the town of Capernaum. There are these major trade roads that cut through there. And so he would have collected a tax on everybody coming through um, with goods. 
uh, tax collectors were despised by the Jews because they took money from Jews and gave it to this oppressive Roman government. They were considered traitors, and a lot of them were dishonest. They, they would overcharge, and they'd keep the overage for themselves. So pretty low class of people in terms of the religious viewing of the day. They were despised by the people in general and by religious leaders, particularly Matthew, who most people say wrote the gospel that we're reading, was a tax collector. Jesus issues the same invitation. It actually says Jesus doesn't ask him to follow him. He tells him. So he issues the same uh, invitation to Matthew that he does to Peter and James and John and Andrew. Follow me. Matthew immediately quits his job and follows Jesus. That's okay. Pharisees wouldn't have loved that, but you could say, well, Matthew repented. He's no longer being a tax collector. But what kind of galls them is that Jesus then goes to Matthew's house and there's a meal. A meal in this culture was a sign of friendship and acceptance. It was a big deal to eat with somebody in their home. So Jesus goes to Matthew's home. He's invited his friends who happen to be tax collectors. And in your Bible, it probably has sinners in parentheses, which means that these guys were kind of uh, notorious uh, sinners, not just sinners like the rest of us, but special sinners. And so that's who he's eating with. And for the Pharisees, they would never set foot in that house. They were super concerned about ritual purity, and they thought uncleanness was, con- it was contagious. And so if I'm eating with someone who's ritually impure, like a tax collector, you're impure because you deal with Gentiles, you're impure because you, you're, you're overcharging, all of these things, like you're impure germs are going to jump on me and defile me. We hear that and think it's kind of silly, but it was very serious for them. They would not set foot in this house because they thought it's going to make us unclean. And remember what the idea of cleanness is. God's not going to send the Messiah until we straighten up. So it's a, this is a big deal for them. So Jesus says he's come to announce the coming of the kingdom of God, and so it doesn't add up to them. You're saying you want the kingdom of God to come just like we are, Pharisees. And we all know that the kingdom won't come until we kind of clean this thing up. Until there's a a higher level of collective righteousness. That's why we're so focused on these rules and why we've added rules upon rules upon rules. It's not just because we like keeping rules. It's because we think by doing that, we're going to make ourselves more, we're going to be able to create a more welcoming environment for God to send the Messiah. And now... You're choosing to eat with this group of people who we all know are unclean. So how can you say you want the kingdom kingdom to come and eat with this group of people at the same time? And Jesus responds with these kind of parable proverb statements. It's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. And I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners and go learn what it means to desire mercy versus sacrifice. And all those things are basically making the same point, which is God cares much more about people than he does about being ritually clean. This idea of healthy that parallels the idea of um, righteous and sick parallels the idea of sinner. And both of that is in terms of people's self-awareness. We all know from the Bible that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so in that, from that perspective, we know we're all sick. Everybody is. What Jesus is saying is I'm going to people who recognize that they're sick. I'm going to people who recognize that they need help. People who recognize that they're sinners and are looking for a way out. That's why I'm with these people. It's not, he's not saying that the Pharisees are not. He's not saying they're healthy or that they're righteous. He's just saying you don't recognize that you need a Savior. And so I'm going to people who do. And this idea of mercy versus sacrifice, again, it's this idea that what God cares about most is people. 
And then it says John's disciples came. And they asked Jesus, how is it that that's John the Baptist? How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the whole worse, or the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. So the Pharisees fasted on Monday and Thursday. Again, there's this idea that our religious uh, devotion, our ritual purity, that's what makes us acceptable to God. So to prove to God how serious we are, we're going to fast twice a week. Obviously, John the, B- the Baptist's disciples fast as well, probably on the same days. And again, there's this idea, Jesus, how come your guys don't fast? We all know, we're all saying that we want the kingdom of God to come. And again, everybody believes that that happens when we become, as a nation, when we're more righteous. So we're fasting as a sign of saying we're, we're mourning for the sins that we've committed and we're saying, God, this is how serious we are about righteousness. Why aren't you doing it? Again, it doesn't make sense to them that he's saying he wants the kingdom to come, but he's not doing the things that everybody knows you should do if you want the kingdom to come. He's eating with the wrong people, and then they're getting on to him because he's, he's not fasting. And Jesus, again, replies with these kind of, with these parable-type statements. He says, um, you can't fast during a wedding, and actually you weren't allowed to. A wedding feast was seven days long, and you weren't allowed to fast. Wedding's a time of joy. Fasting is an expression of mourning. Those two things don't go together. So Jesus is saying right now it's a time of celebration because he's there. And so it's not appropriate to fast, which means it will be appropriate when he's not here, which is why we fast collectively now. But during the times, it's not appropriate. And then he gives this picture of what's appropriate and what's not. Two illustrations of the same point. So if you've got a tear in your jeans and you want to patch them, you don't want to use a new patch on your jeans because when you wash them, the new patch is going to shrink and it's going to rip your jeans more. He's not saying whether the new patch or the old jeans is better or worse. It's not new is better than old or old is better than new. It's, it's inappropriate. It doesn't serve its purpose. If the purpose of the patch is to fix the hole, then you can't put new on old because you make the hole worse. And the same thing is true with wines and wine and wineskins. He's not making a comparison between new and old. Like those of you who are wine people, I, I understand old wine is better than new. But that's not, it's not, he's not talking about that. He's not making a value judgment on the age of wine. What he's saying is new wine is still fermenting. It's going to expand. Old wineskins have already expanded. They're brittle. And so if you put something that's going to expand in something that is not going to expand, it's going to explode. If the purpose of the wineskins is to keep the wine, well, then you've defi- it hasn't served its purpose because now your wine is all over the ground. Again, it's not value judgment. Is new better than old or old better than new? That's irrelevant. It has to do with what's appropriate. And what Jesus is saying is the, the, the wineskins that y'all have are inappropriate for what God is doing now. The religious structures that y'all have been um, following are not appropriate for what God is doing now. So this whole idea of ritual purity, that doesn't work anymore. God is doing something new. He's more concerned with people. He's trying to reach people who are sick. And so I can't be worried about whether everybody washed their hands the right way. I've got to go where people are sick. 
That's what's primary here. It's not appropriate to fast because the bridegroom is here. They'll fast later, but right now, what's going on now is such that it's not appropriate. That's really what Jesus is talking about, what's appropriate for what God is doing now. So the takeaway for us from both of these stories, both these things, I think for us, it can be difficult to make a connection within our own lives as we're reading both of these things. Um, the, The takeaway, I think, is the fact that the Messiah has come in Jesus and that the kingdom of God is advancing through us should make um, should impact, should have implications for our lifestyle. And that's what I want to close with, is really looking at how does the fact that Jesus has already come and the fact that the kingdom, that's the rule or the reign of God, is being extended through us, his people, how does that affect our lifestyle? Or how should that affect our lifestyle? And there's a relational component, and this is not a, this is kind of lame, but I can't think of a better word. There's a scheduling component as well. I think both of those things you see here going on. There's a relational component and there's kind of a just a daily, what do I do with my time component? So the Pharisees, religious leaders say it's our ritual purity, it's our religious devotion. That's what brings the kingdom. We're saying no, it's not the case. Jesus brings the kingdom. He's the Messiah. He's already come and the rule and reign of God is extended through us, through each of you who is following Jesus. You have a role, you have a responsibility in terms of what God is doing in our community. There's a kingdom purpose for you that has to do with extending the rule and reign of God. So there's this clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You're, if you're a Christian, you're in the kingdom of light, and you have a responsibility, and God wants to use you to help drive back the kingdom of darkness in the community in which you live. You get that. And so I'm saying, what are the implications of that for our lives. Two things. One, relational component. That kind of ties back to this first thing. Who are you eating with? So my question for you is, where do you circulate? Not when was the last time you shared Jesus with somebody. Where do you circulate? What are the, where, where are the, what are the circles or the spheres that you run in? So for me, I, my office is on the square, so I could say I circulate here. I have children in Marietta City Schools, so I could say I circulate at Westside in the 6th grade academy in Marietta Middle School. I coach soccer, and so I circulate with the parents of those other kids on our soccer team. I live on Hope Street, and so I I could say, well, I circulate on that street with those neighbors. So where where do you tend to circulate? Where are the, what are the circles, I think, in circles? What are the, if you have these different circles of your life, what are the labels for those circles? First question. Second question, who in those circles is sick? Who needs Jesus in those circles? And don't think strictly in terms of who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. One of the things Jesus does is forgive us of our sins. Huge. I don't want to lose sight of that, but he does much more than that. In those, he brings healing. Who in those circles is hurting and needs to be healed? He brings freedom. Who in those circles would you say, you know what, they're, they're really bound up by some things? He, he's a provider. Who in those circles is desperate? He brings direction like we've talked about this morning. Who in those circles is confused? He's an advocate. Who in those circles is oppressed or run over? Think through your circles. Who who would you say is sick? That's a bad label to put on somebody, but you know what I'm saying. Who in those circles needs Jesus? And then the third question, which is actually um, even more important than the second, is who in those circles knows that they need Jesus? 
Not just who needs them, but who knows that they do. Traffic light. Red light, what do you do? Stop. What happens if you run a red light? You get a ticket or you have a wreck. Or you thank your lucky stars that neither of those things happen. With people, it's the same way. Some people are red lights. They don't want what you've got. And if you try to tell them, hey, you're sick, you're sick, you need Jesus, all you're going to do is you're going to cause a wall to go up in their heart. Yellow light, proceed with caution. Green light, come on. You're looking for green lights in the circles, that you, the areas that you circulate. That's what you want. The green lights are, I'm open to what you have to share. I recognize I have a need. That's why I ask you to raise your hand before we pray for you. That to me means, okay, there's a green light, so it's okay for us to pray for you. If you don't raise your hand, even if I know you're hurting, I'm, most likely I'm not going to do anything with that. Because you're saying, you're not giving me the, the opening to do that. So you want to be able to read the, the traffic signals. And you can do that. Most of you can. You have some sense with people. If they're open, if they're cautiously open, or if they're completely closed to what you have to say. And remember, as Christians, we're not salespeople. We're witnesses. They're not the same thing. We're, they're not. You're not selling anybody anything. You're testifying to what Je who Jesus is and what he has done in your life and what he can do in theirs. Witnesses, normally when they testify, it's because they've been asked to do so. Salesmen can be a little different. No offense to salesmen. But that's not what we're trying to do here. You're not trying to convince somebody of their need for Jesus. It doesn't work. If the light is red, the best thing you can do is pray for God to turn the light green. God, I pray that you would stir a hunger in this person. You would help them recognize their need. Help them see that they need you. And then you're there. If the light's green, then you can feel free to share. So that's first. The fact that the kingdom is coming through us means we need to think about our relationships. What are the, where, where do you circulate? Within where you circulate, particularly, who, do you, who is recognizing their need for Jesus? Second thing, I said to schedule again. That sounds lame. I don't know what else to say about that afterwards. I'm sure some of you will come and give me a better label. So at 11, they'll have something other than scheduling. But that's what I was thinking of. There's this lifestyle component, what we do with our time. We say all the time that God has a calling on your life. We call it doing your deal here. There's good works that God has created in advance for you to do. You have a part to play in this expansion, this extension of the kingdom. There's a reason that God has planted you where he has planted you. You have purpose in your life. All of us all saying the same thing. And the expectation from God is you're going to do something about that. When Jesus says to Matthew, follow me, Matthew quits his job and follows him. There's a lifestyle adjustment there. It was radical for Matthew. It was radical for Peter and James and John and Andrew. They left their families and they left their careers as well. For you, it may not be that radical, but there will be adjustments. If following Jesus hasn't resulted in any adjustments to your lifestyle, then you probably aren't following him. Honest. And so we want to look and say, what does it look like? What in my schedule, for lack of a better word, needs to be adjusted so that I can make room for what God wants to do through me in the lives of other people. It's easy to look at, where are they? Josh and Mandy who are going to Turkey. That's easy for us to say, okay, they've done that. They've adjusted their whole life around this calling to go to Turkey. Well, guess what? God hasn't called me to Turkey. 
So does that mean all I have to do is show up at church at 9 o'clock? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm thinking Monday through Friday, the life that you're living, what type of adjustments need, need to happen there for you to accommodate what God wants to do? That's the wine and wineskins thing. You need a wineskin, a lifestyle that's appropriate to the wine, to the calling God has on your life. Some easy examples. If you feel like your thing is hospitality, that's your deal. God has called you to open your home to other people. Then you have to be home. If you're in the car all the time, then you can't be hospitable. It's just, that's just true. And you're saying, well, then that means this. and Yes, it means all of those things. It means something has to go. It means that whatever that is, if God's calling on your life is to open your home, then you have to be home to open it. You can't do latchkey hospitality. You can't. Matthew quit his job. You might have to quit something as well. I don't know, but that could be the case. There's this, again, this expectation. Remember the last three miracles were all about Jesus saying, hey, look, remember who's calling you. I'm the Lord over creation. I've got power and authority in that sphere. I'm the Lord over darkness. I've got power and authority in that sphere. And I'm the Lord over sin and sickness. And I've got power and authority in that sphere. What Jesus is saying is the one who's making these demands, who says to Matthew, doesn't ask him, who says, follow me, which means you're going to have to quit your job. The one who's asking is God. So it's okay. He can make those demands. Um, Liz Walker, some of y'all know her. Her thing is impacting girls through soccer. So guess what? She has to be available to actually do that. She has to be available to go coach at Park Street. She's in Nicaragua right now trying to gain some training. She has to bend some of her lifestyle around being available to do that. It's not enough just to say, this is my calling. What, how are you living that out? Fostering. Some of you foster. Some of you, that's, that's a huge one where you have to begin to shape your lifestyle around. Some of you, your thing, there's a guy in our church, his deal is influencing other people. He gives up a couple of breakfasts and a couple of lunches a week to do one-on-one -on -one meetings with people that have nothing to do with business. That have everything to do with helping them figure out how, what God is calling them to and how they live that out. So I don't know what, I can't tell you anything. All I can say is that the key for this is to run your schedule through the filter of God's call on your life. And none of us do that. I don't think. Most of us don't do that. Most of us, our schedules are already spoken for. This is from the, you show that little pie chart. This is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. You can't read it unless you've got great eyes. This green one is um, how much we spend working a day. It's 8.8 .8 hours. This is a typical 24-hour day for most of the people in this room, 25 to 54. We sleep 7.6 hours. Some of you are thinking that would be wonderful if I actually got that. Other, whatever that means, 1.7. Caring for others, 1.2. I'm assuming that means parenting, and they're just calling it caring for others because these are people who have kids. Eating and drinking, we spend just as much time eating as we do parenting. I don't know if that's good or bad. And household activities, that's chores. Leisure and sports, that's, I looked at it, that's almost all TV and about 17 minutes thinking. That counts under, <laughs> that's, un, that's in the leisure category. So most of us, our days, that's kind of what you got. There's not a whole lot of margin. We just take what comes, there's just all these assumptions that we make. And what God would say, I think, to us is, 
Can you run that through the filter of the calling of my calling on your life? At least to start with, put me in the other category and give me some of that time that you can begin to live out my calling on your life, that you can begin to do your deal, that you can begin to be an instrument that I can use to, to extend the kingdom. So that's, I think that's the second area. And that's just, again, I can't tell you what to do because it's very individual. All I can say is you need to hear the Lord. You need to bring your schedule before him. Most, many of you are parents. Spring sports haven't started yet. Before they do, bring that, like God cares in some sense. Like bring that before him. Ask him, God, what, what do you want our family rhythm to look like? Those of you with that, what do you want our personal, what do you want my personal rhythm to look like? Where am I supposed, where am I available for you to use me? If this is what you've called me to do, how am I actively engaging in that versus just working it in around the edges? It's not a heavy thing at all. It is an expectation, I believe, from the Lord, but I don't think it's heavy. I think it's, it's an invitation. Hey, this is what I'm doing, and I want you to be on my team. I want you to be a part of this, and you've got a significant role to play, so I need you. And again, I think for many of us, we just don't think that way. We're busy, and we just we kind of fit God in around the edges. He's not looking for heroes. He's not. Most of you are not going to move to Turkey. And even moving to Turkey is no guarantee. They still got to figure out once they get there, God, what, what am I supposed... What am I supposed to do with my time? And the same thing is true for the rest of us. So let's pray, and we'll have our small group leaders come. Why don't you be quiet for a minute? I want to pray about two things, which we want to try to hear the Lord. God, I do pray for each of us that you would speak to us about where we circulate, particularly who in those areas is aware of their need for you, God. I pray that you would show us green lights. Just if a name comes to your mind, just grab onto that. And God, I pray that you would anoint each of us to be a witness. You said that you told the disciples to wait until they were filled with your spirit, and then they would be your witnesses. And so, God, I pray you would fill each of us with your spirit, that we could be your witnesses, not your salesmen, not your defense attorneys, not your PR consultants, but your witnesses. God, are there any in our circles, the areas where we circulate, who are red lights? If a name comes to your mind, just grab it. And God, we pray for those men and women and that you would make them aware of their need for you. And the way you know how to do that, we don't. We're just asking you to open their eyes to their need. We're available when the light's green. You want to shift. God, I pray for each of us and that you would show us where in our schedules, what needs to, what, what needs to change. What's the wineskin that's appropriate for the calling that you have on our life right now on January 20th, 2013? Does something need to be added or cut? Moved around? Lord, put something in your mind, just grab onto it.
God, in both of these things, relationships and kind of our schedules, it's easy for us to create rules, and that's not what we want to do. We want to be led by your Spirit. And so, God, I pray for each one of us that we would be, that we would be led. Like we said earlier, you're the good shepherd, and you know what's best for us. We want to just track closely with you when it comes to being witnesses, where we circulate, all of that, and when it comes to how we're spending our time and what our lifestyle is in both of those areas, God. There's not, we know there's not, there's not 10 steps, there's not a technique. We need you to shape and form and lead. And God, I pray that we would have enough confidence in your spirit within us that we would, we would trust and we would follow you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd be more than happy to talk with any of, any of y'all about any of that stuff. We've got some ministry elders who are great and they'd be happy to talk with y'all if you're trying to figure out some of those components. Again, my encouragement to you, kind of the takeaway, is just that you begin to intentionally engage with the Lord on those two areas of your life. Relationally, kind of where you circulate, who's, where are the green lights there? Where are the people that need Jesus? Then be willing to step into that. And then lifestyle, are there adjustments that need to be made? or some, there's some things that need to be shifted around so that you can be more available and intentional about how God wants to use you in your community. Good? Small group leaders.